This is a Federal News Network podcast. The trillions Congress printed to respond to the pandemic were supposed to come through with a tough regime of oversight and transparency. But that only partially came true. My next guest says the COVID spending only exaggerated existing weaknesses in spending reporting. Sean Moulton is senior policy analyst at the Project on Government Oversight, and he joins me now. Sean, good to have you back. Thanks for having me back, Tom. And you have looked at usaspending.gov and just found simply that even 10 years after this became kind of the law of the land, it's still very hard to know where federal money goes. Give us the top line here. You would think we would have the ability to reliably answer some very basic questions, you know, about where is this money going, what communities, what communities are getting missed, uh, which industry sectors are we reaching or missing. One of the big questions that the new administration is talking about with COVID is, is it being spent equitably? And the reality is, the answer still very often is, we don't know, because the system itself is broken. You know, we're collecting erroneous data or useless data, uh, or we're not collecting the data at all. And what is it that agencies use? What is the system they're using, for the most part, to get that information into usaspending.gov? Because each agency has a little separate version, almost, of its financial controls. That's true. And so the main databases that USA Spending is built on are two. There's a contracts one called the Federal Procurement Data System, And then on the assistance side, which is everything else, even though some of it's very different, it's loans, it's grants, it's direct assistance to households and individuals, that all goes through something called the Federal Awards Data System, FADS. And one of the big problems with that, I mean, especially under COVID, so much of the money is coming out through assistance. We're assisting businesses, we're assisting households, we're assisting state governments and local governments. And so the money's just kind of pouring out. We're doing loans. We're doing grants that people don't have to pay back. And the reality is we don't collect nearly as good information on the assistance side about who's getting it, who exactly they are, where exactly they are, how they use it, who they spend it with, you know, state governments, where exactly that money goes after the state governments get it. We do a bad job collecting all that information. Because here we are a year and a half running on to two years since the CARES Act came out, and only now are oversight reports starting to trickle out. For example, the GAO has a pair of reports just recently, within days, on some of the other transaction authority spending that HHS did to drug companies and so forth to get things going in the vaccination front and so on. But that's a year and a half afterwards that we know And with Congress contemplating spending so much more money, if if this all happens, for infrastructure and you name it, it seems like, what do they say, the the money will get spent before the oversight gets out of bed and puts its shoes on. (laughs) That is the big concern here. I mean, while the COVID spending and, and the recovery spending from the pandemic is prompting our greater interest here, the reality is the reforms that we're asking for, we're recommending, would pay benefits for years down the road, whether it's infrastructure spending or following up on a hurricane or or just regular year-to-year spending. We should be able to answer these questions. And the fact that we can't, uh, it means that we are unable to do the proper oversight. Congress can't, the agencies can't, and more importantly, the public can't. They should have some level of trust and certainty that, you know, all these tax dollars that we give the government each year are being spent well. 
We're speaking with Sean Moulton, Senior Policy Analyst at the Project on Government Oversight. And in your latest report, you've got a detail here, $1.7 roughly billion through the Community Services Block Grant Program. But subgrants under the same program report $2.5 billion. So there's an $800 million difference in this one program, and that seems to be emblematic of what's going on. Tell us about that detail. So the reporting of sub-awards, we've had that in place for years now. Just one tier, so you know, state governments get money, and then we're supposed to know if they send out awards to anyone, you know, who exactly got them and how much. And, and unfortunately, there's a glitch, <laughs> and has been for years in the system, where if a sub-award is reported and then updated, you know, they change something about it, award description or some other factor, the dates change, and they extend how long this project is for, whatever the change. If they go back into the system and they change that, it doesn't just update the record, it creates a new record. And so you start getting duplicate sub-awards that start appearing on the system. Same, same recipient, same date, same amounts, over and over and over again. I've seen it uh, where you know, you'll see three or four, five sub-awards of the exact same amount. And so you start getting this duplication effect. And you get this kind of situation that we see in the community service block grant where the sub-award is more than the original awards totaled, which is impossible. No one's adding money to this, so we give it to the state agencies. It is a massive error that's going on. And it makes the rest of the data, I mean, it makes it so that you can't trust it. If you see data and you, you don't see these duplicates, you're still not sure if you can trust the data. Sure. And another issue you point out is the vagary in the fields that describe award descriptions in the FADS program, the FADS database, that you really can't tell where the money is going and there's no uniformity to the way programs or recipients are designated or described in that data field. Yeah, I mean, award description, you would think most people would just expect it to be, you know, a couple of sentences describing what that money was used for. It's not rocket science, and yet for assistance, we often see the name of the program, you know, flood insurance payments. It just says that for every transaction. Or CARES Act, the bill that the money came from. It'll repeat that thousands of times. And while it gives you a little something, it doesn't really tell you about the individual award in any way. And the reality is that on the contract side, you know, we have problems with the award description as well. I've seen award descriptions that are nothing. They look like practically gibberish because they're a series of procurement codes that the government knows. But for most of us on the outside, we would look at it and say it's a string of, you know, numbers and letters and dashes. It doesn't tell me anything. All right. And then the third issue here I wanted to ask you about, this is a longstanding issue, and this would be on the federal procurement database side, the corporate identification codes. And I guess the GSA is starting to move away from DUNS numbers. But even with the DUNS numbers, a supposedly universal numbering system for who is getting contracting money, that has never been all that clear because of the numbers of companies that have subsidiaries and similar names and so on. Yes, there's been some long-standing problems with the DUNS numbers. I mean, first off, it's a privately run system, and so the government has to pay for the privilege of using this identification number and posting it to the public. And it's just kind of absurd that the government wouldn't have its own numbering system. They number everything else. They love numbering things. 
And one of the other problems was it was so easy to get a DUNS number that you would wind up with companies that would have multiple DUNS numbers. And so you would get this fragmentation in the data where Boeing would have 30 different DUNS numbers that you would have to keep track of. And so it was always a difficult system. And I'm very glad that the government is moving away, but we're not there yet. We don't have a government numbering system yet, not really. So we're still reliant on DUNS, and yet we have these ongoing problems. And you're right that we're, we were talking about the, uh, the procurement data system is a part where this, this is problematic. But the other big gap is that on the assistance side, we did a lot of loans. And for some reason, a few years ago, we stopped reporting DUNS numbers for people getting these loans. And so when we ramped up with the PPP loans and the disaster assistance loans, we had millions of transactions loans going out to businesses where we don't get DUNS numbers. And so it's very hard to figure out if that company's getting you know, multiple loans or multiple awards because you know, all you have is their name and their address. You don't have an easy-to-use number to track them through the other award. So essentially, it sounds like the government has a long-standing technical and managerial process problem, but not really a requirements problem, because in the law, spending is supposed to be transparent. It's true. And some of these problems we've even tried to address through other legislation. A few years ago, we did something called the Data Act, the Digital Accountability and Transparency Act. And the whole goal of that was to try and get the spending data to be reliable and dependable and accurate. And we've made some progress. I don't want to make it sound like it's all doom and gloom. But there are some really critical pieces here that remain unfixed, uh, that remain missing. And until we address them, we're always going to be left scratching our heads about some of these important questions about federal spending. Sean Moulton is Senior Policy Analyst at the Project on Government Oversight. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. Real pleasure. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy. with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm. I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. 
How would you describe your leadership style and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. 
Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Looking to expand or move your company? Look no further than Ohio. With a talented workforce for in-demand industries like tech, healthcare, engineering, manufacturing, and more, you can staff up and scale for growth. Ohio's central location and reliable infrastructure will help you impress your customers. While Ohio's affordable cost of living and quality of life will excite your employees. Why survive somewhere else when your business can thrive in Ohio? Visit successinohio.com today. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.